0: Hello and welcome back to our podcast. We're glad that you have decided to spend this time listening to our conversation. As always, we um, uh, would welcome any input that you have and uh, the email address, I'll, I'll give it to you now at the start, uh, is at gmail.com. We're tracking loosely along with the themes that are picked out by the Seventh Day Adventist quarterly. Uh, But we're not sticking to the same Bible passages, and uh, in fact, we're taking this as a bit of an excuse to dive into Proverbs, and we've certainly enjoyed that journey so far. Uh, My name's Cameron, very glad to be here recording this podcast.
1: Yeah, g'day, Ken, likewise.
0: And I'm Lachlan. Luke is not with us yet, but he he may join us soon. Right, well, uh, the lesson this week discusses the concept of rest uh, from illness, and identifies uh, two passages really fruitful passages for discussion one of them is the uh, paralytic man who's is lowered uh, down to Christ through the roof and the other is uh, Elijah sick at heart Um, and the lesson talks a bit about mental illness we're gonna we're gonna look at those same two themes we're gonna look at, at physical health and mental health as described in the book of Proverbs
2: I might kick us off in Proverbs 3 I was intrigued By Proverbs 3, verse 8, which reads, Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. So that's clearly connected to this idea of of healing and rest from pain. But it starts with the word then. So I wanted to know what is this following on from? So Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 8 uh, sound beautiful. Listen to this: trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take don't be impressed with your own wisdom instead fear the lord and turn away from evil then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones so there's an implication here we've talked about the wisdom part in the last couple of episodes you know don't don't trust in your own wisdom don't be impressed by your own wisdom we've talked a lot about this the the selfishness the self-aggrandizement that can come with being so proud of our own wisdom so don't do that trust in the lord we've talked about that seek god's will that sounds like a noble aspiration and activity and then there's this word then then you have healing for your body and i like the sentiment so much but frankly it troubles me a little bit because don't we all know of people maybe some of us have even been there who have been pretty earnest in their trust with the Lord and have definitely been seeking God's will and I don't think have been too impressed with their own wisdom. And yet they haven't had the healing for their body that they've been earnestly seeking. Um, so is is Proverbs 3 here being just a little bit too simplistic? Um, what do we do with this sort of passage?
0: Well, we have to take it... Uh... In, in the context of many people who endured many hard things as recorded in the Bible and uh, last week the lesson referred to the story of joseph and there's that uh, passage that I find a little bit enigmatic but obviously joseph didn't he found, he was perfectly at peace with it where at the end of his life he was able to say it's pretty clear in retrospect that this there was a meaning and purpose behind that wasn't wasn't apparent at the time mm. and um, surely many of us will have that experience in heaven presumably you know, the Bible does have statements, and there's the statement of Christ, isn't there, that anything you ask for in my name, uh, if you say to the mountain, go cast yourself into the sea, it will. They're, they're equally difficult passages. C.S. Lewis, just to get in early, uh, made the comment that, um, that uh, once that Christians, that he spoke to at least, seemed to regard the Gospels as very simple and straightforward, and then Paul Apostle Paul had to come along and make everything so much more complicated. But it was Lewis's opinion that it was exactly the opposite way around. He said all the hardest things (laughs) in the New Testament are statements that come from the mouth of our Lord himself. Mm.
2: (laughs) Well, I think that's true. I mean, the whole issue of healing, I'll be honest, the whole issue of healing is one that troubles me. It's easy to walk away from the Bible with the feeling that healings happen left, right and centre all over the place. And it's helpful to remember that even within the Bible narrative, there are bursts or periods or pockets of, of more intense, miraculous activity recorded, and then vast passages of time with, with very little recorded. Um, and yet, you know, in our own Christian experience, in our Christian community today, we have some, some parts of the Christian community who are really adamantly focused on the, the reality of regular frequent everyday miracles and then you have other people within the christian community who find that such a such a difficult way to make sense of the of the observed world that they they are a bit a bit more hesitant to describe things as being miraculous you know healing healing is a really challenging one for me because the majority of people who pray for it don't get it
0: well yeah but no one gets it in any permanent sense like I know that I've had conversations with mum about this who, who works in an aged care home. She said that, you know, miraculous deliverances don't happen hmm. in an aged care home. And, like, even hmm. Lazarus got old and died.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: One of the things that... And we talk about the miracle of healing. The flip side of that... And I want to be careful here to respect the confidences of a dying friend, but... Um, is when it's obvious that healing that has been prayed for is not occurring, why is it then that there is a painful lingering mm. even for a person of faith mm.
2: yeah, I think this is so high I think it highlights though you know this idea of rest and rest being tied up you know to me it's really profound that in the recorded ministry of jesus he he seems to be a compulsive healer you know it it's it's so much a part of who he is and the way he interacts with the world. He he can't just go past people. There's a blind beggar beside the road and his disciples are turning the beggar away saying, just be quiet, just be quiet. And Jesus stops his entourage and kind of says, no, we're not turning this guy away. This is, this is the core of who I am. And I think that there is something really, really interesting there. Jesus seems to be communicating to us that part of the rest that he promises in the kingdom of god is tied up with this idea of of rest from pain and suffering so i i really like the idea i i, I see great merit and great value in that as a biblical theme and that's why i find it challenging because um you know it, it it's obviously not super regular um otherwise hospitals would be going out of business Unless, And another way of seeing this whole thing is, you know, hospitals are participating in the miracles of healing all the day, all the time, you know, all through the day. And that that is true, I suppose.
1: The other side of that difficulty comes from the promise that Jesus made. You you will do greater things than these. Uh, You've seen these things done and you will do greater things than these. And and yet today in the world that I live in, aside from those medical miracles, if we can call them that, uh, I've not... Frankly, ever seen a uh, miraculous uh, healing? Um, perhaps that's because I haven't prayed for them. Uh, but but so often we tell ourselves, well, well, you, no, look, you shouldn't feel guilty about that because there are these gaps, and that was Jesus. But it, but if if the core of his being was healing, um, uh, then why do we not see that now? That's and and maybe we should be feeling guilty about not seeing that now. Maybe we should we should really be confronting the issue.
0: But Ken, um, the trouble is that Christ didn't say that to you. He said it to the people in his immediate surroundings, many of whom did go on to do mm, mm. <laughs> things just yeah. as miraculous. And so, I mean, that's 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 one point.
1: But doesn't it doesn't address the core point that that no, a central the central aspect of Jesus' ministry was healing.
0: There's also an element to. I mean, this is touching on the separate issue, but related of of prayer and intercessory prayer. And um, there's another essay, C.S. Lewis essay on the um, problem of intercessory prayer. And he he begins by saying, look, I have a problem with intercessory prayer and and don't think you're going to solve my problem by telling me there are many other sorts of prayer. I know there's many other sorts of prayer and maybe intercessory prayer is not very important, but it's important enough that we were told to do it.
3: Mm. (laughs) So
0: uh, here's the problem. There's two types of prayers. The first type of the prayer is the prayer that says... This is what I'd like, but your will be done. And he said, uh, this is in keeping with with our Lord's practice in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in keeping with my intellect. It's obvious to me that as a finite being, there must be many times when uh, I do not know what's best. And let's face it, there are many prayers I've prayed, which in hindsight, I'm glad were not answered. Uh, The prayer of submission, the prayer that says, this is what I want, uh, but your will be done. is is a form of intercessory prayer that I'm very comfortable with. He said, um, so that's fine, but there's a second type of prayer, uh, which is the prayer where faith in the particular outcome you're praying for is a pivotal part of whether it's granted. And there are examples of healings in the gospels where, where Christ says, your faith, do you believe I can do this and, and heals them. And, um, and there's there's the statements we've referred to of Christ's already where he, he says, Whatever you ask in my name. Lewis says this is a difficult problem in practical terms because you cannot hedge your bets. You can't pray both ways. Hmm. Because the first first way is announces up front, you say that I am not certain of the outcome of this, but I'm happy to leave it in your hands. Um, so you can't you can't be have that confident faith in a particular outcome and still Equivocal. Honestly pray that may your will be done prayer. So um, he, it's a good essay. I won't I won't say more of it, except people should uh, look it up. And he concludes by saying, he said, this doesn't solve the problem altogether, but maybe in as much as faith is itself a gift from God, if I do not feel confident in a particular outcome, then I must necessarily use the first type of prayer. Hmm. If I don't have that faith. So maybe... maybe Maybe it's not so much a conflict as all of that.
2: I think one really interesting aspect of this is the idea of, you know, so the challenging part is essentially the age-old problem. Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, that's that's one very sort of simple expression of this problem. But Proverbs picks up the word healing in a number of different ways. I've just been browsing through and noticed in Proverbs 13 Proverbs thirteen verse seventeen, an unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. There's a contrast here between unreliable and reliable. That's not the same as unfaithful and faithful, or you know wise and foolish, or or you know good or wicked. This is reliable versus unreliable, and there's some sense here in which reliable messenger is bringing healing. Presumably, that's not quite the same thing as you know physical healing from a terminal illness. So then we're being called to a bigger picture of healing. And I would like to ponder for a moment the idea that, that we might sometimes be called to be agents of healing rather than, rather than focusing on whether we are the recipients of a miraculous healing. How can we be conduits of healing or agents of healing in a world that's, that's clearly suffering
0: pain? That's, a, that's an interesting challenge.
1: I think that's a very good challenge and one that's worthy of a conclusion.
0: It's an interesting perspective, Locke, to, to bring to other verses that, that talk about uh, illness within Proverbs. Uh, the one that I'd pulled up for today's discussion was Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Inasmuch as the lesson addresses mental illness, mental illness is a significant problem. I, you know, I think it ought to be part of our discussion. And there's a sort of a level at which this is true that's sort of a trite, when you don't get what you want, it makes you very cross. That's, that's not necessarily, I don't think, what the proverb's getting at. There are people who hope for fair treatment um, at the hands of police mm. um, in some parts of the world who don't get it. Uh, there are people who hope for opportunities for their children, equal opportunities so their children can succeed in life and, and make a difference, positive difference to the world, who, who don't get it. And having, having a hope, a real longing for something that's genuinely good and having it uh, deferred makes the heart
1: ill. Hope is, of course, something that is inevitably deferred. Uh, it is something that you do not have now. You hope for some future uh, good. Uh, that's the nature no. of hope is that it doesn't exist here now. It is what we want. So it is inevitably deferred, uh, but perhaps deferred beyond its proper time is what makes mm. the
0: heart
2: sick. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've flicked to a couple of different translations just here, but the wording is very, very, very similar here in your verse, Cam, Proverbs 13, verse 12. Right. I, I think this is really interesting. The mental health aspect of this, I mean, that's such a commonly used phrase now and, and certainly hasn't been at all considered <laughs> for, for lots of human history. You know, I was thinking about it, that it, it covers a bit of a range of of conditions though. There there are there are things that we would refer to as mental health issues that are very, very tangibly physiological and chemical and and can be aided and assisted through through medicine, the same way as a, a, a diabetic can save their life through through monitoring their blood sugar and using insulin. Right, So that's one aspect that can be what we're talking about when we're thinking of mental health. And there's another aspect, people use it to refer to issues like loneliness. Now, again, with the caveat that there are probably physiological conditions that give rise to, to certain kinds of, of experiences of loneliness. It remains true that there's an awful lot of loneliness in the world that is a genuine health issue and is mental health concern. But the fix to it is not some pills in a bottle. The fix to it is have a friend come around or get on a Zoom call during COVID lockdown. And kind of what I'm saying, what I'm highlighting there is that I find it a little easier in, in that corner of the mental health issue to, to see my calling to be an agent of healing. Um, because mm. there, are, there are a lot of really genuine, really important problems that, that are, and I'm not minimizing them by saying this, they, they are fixable by By people being a reliable messenger, being a good friend, being the sort of of person in the world that Proverbs is I think calling us to be
0: and Locke, the the research around this is interesting. A lot of these uh, other aspects of mental health let's call them the non-medical aspects uh, and I'm about to question that term term turn out to be quite medical uh, so for instance if you um I was reading a book by Rabbi Sachs called Morality and he refers to a village where typically the men live as long as the women. It's a region in in Europe, in Eastern Europe somewhere. I can't remember where it is. Um, And the number of people who live above the age of 90 is something like three times the average for similar populations. And whether or not this is causative... He maintains that it is causative, but it certainly correlates very strongly with high levels of social cohesion. Mm. Old people are valued. They're kept in the centre of the home. The town boasts of its residents over 100 as, as their local treasures. They are, they are kept in contact with young people often. They're, they are made to feel valuable, and uh, I'm now... I'm now going to say something that's unreferenced, but I have a feeling that in a recent uh, staff, I have a memory that in a recent staff meeting where we were talking about mental health problems in um, at school, that our assistant principal told us that uh, social disconnection uh, has a greater impact on longevity as smoking.
1: Well, let me mm. let me pick up on that, um, Cam, because there's an author, uh, uh, Johan Hari, uh, who's written. Two books, uh, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, and the second, Lost Connections, Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression and the Unexpected Solutions. Um, And uh, uh, his thesis is that uh, the treatment for addiction is not the way we've currently done it. What causes addiction is lost connection. Um, and so that sense of community. What's fascinating about that to me in today's society is that on one view, we're more connected than we ever have been. Hmm. But is it perhaps not the sort of connection that we really need?
0: You Was it you, Ken, or someone at my work described sitting on a plane and watching someone... <laughs> Take a selfie for their social media feed?
1: L- listen, it was. It was me. I, I was getting on an aeroplane in days when one did get on an aeroplane and travel somewhere. Um, and I was walking down the aisle and uh, this sullen, sad, Brustled. depressed- <laughs> looking lady was putting her bag up in the locker overhead uh, and then uh, uh, she she pulled her phone out of the bag and sat down in her seat, leaned her shoulder right up against the window of the aeroplane to frame her face, put on a wonderful broad smile and held her phone out and took a selfie uh, and then put it away and resumed her, uh, you know, terrible look. Um, and I thought, is that the world that we've created?
0: <laughs> Our sociology teacher has given several talks about students' talking about levels of social connection. And students of particular ages are more susceptible. In early high school, you're really susceptible to comparing yourself to, to your friends. And social media makes that so much possible. And it gives you so much more control over the image you present, which means you have to be so much more careful and devote so much more time and thought to presenting the right image. And, uh, you know, he put a picture up of his daughter at the tulip farm at, cable, uh, at Table Cape, He said, "Isn't this wonder? Isn't this beautiful picture?" I I put this picture on Facebook, and then he said, "Uh, "Half an hour before I took this picture, uh, she threw up in the car, and this is a you know third. The the girl was about three years old. This was the third change of clothes for the day, and we were completely frazzled. Did I put any of those pictures on Facebook? No," he said. So, (laughs) the trouble with social media is that it's not a safe place to make yourself vulnerable.
2: It's really interesting because it. Can be, and sometimes it is, um, mm. but so frequently it isn't. Uh, so is that an important issue there, Cam? Is making yourself vulnerable or being feeling feeling able to admit one's vulnerability is that an important element of the kinds of connection that are going to be helpful in this in this sort of you know is that part of what was the verse I read um, being a reliable messenger that brings healing?
0: Oh, Luke, it's good to have you join our discussion. We're, we're deep into a discussion about what Proverbs has to say about health and healing.
3: Yes. Well, I, I'm late because I was just talking uh, to and with colleagues, um, or to and about colleagues in Lebanon uh, regarding potential funding that we are trying to get for their office. And they were explaining to me what the situation in Lebanon was like. And the best way I can illustrate it is that the lady said she was in Beirut during the worst of the Syrian civil war and the situation in Lebanon at the moment is worse. Right. Oh, dear. (laughs) Mm. So if you want to talk about escaping pain and suffering, um, spare, spare a prayer for people in Lebanon because that country is experiencing something along the lines of what happens when a country disintegrates.
2: Yeah, well, Luke. I mean that that highlights the challenge, uh, a big part of the challenge in my mind surrounding this this whole issue of healing. And and just before you arrived, we did note one element of healing. Sometimes it's probably helpful for us not to ponder how we can be the recipients of the healing we desire, but but rather ponder or request or or meditate on how we can be agents of healing. We we noted the challenge, and as you share that that situation, I, I note the challenge even more keenly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's often um, the case that uh, people who suffer the most angst about the sort of problem of pain and suffering at the abstract philosophical level are people from cultures who have not had to experience quite...
1: And and look, I I will say, Cameron, for me, I mean, I've not experienced any substantial pain and suffering in my life. Um, uh, The most uh, grief... I think that I've experienced was uh, the death of my grandmother, um, uh, which was not unexpected. Um, And I I live a comfortable Western middle-class life. Uh, I I then agonise about the problems of pain and suffering in the world, uh, and come up with all of these theoretical reasons why uh, that might cast doubt on the goodness of God, Uh, but. Who am I to speak about that? If <laughs> if there are those who are experiencing the suffering, who find uh, hope, who find relief, um, who find comfort in God, uh, then surely that is enough to answer my philosophical questions. Mm. And yet they remain. I mean they they are good questions
3: to keep asking Ken even even if we can't come up with good answers to them I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding that we generally all have in that questions have to have answers to be valuable mm. or they have to have definitive answers
1: I I wonder whether it might be that that's a, that that we live in that tension uh between the Uh, the questions and the answers. Um, And and I wonder whether there might be some way that Proverbs 14 and verse 13 might play into into that. That says, even in laughter the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. And and if one were to turn that on its head, uh, one might also say, uh, even with an aching heart, uh, there might be, laughter and Mm. even in grief there might be joy
0: Mm. I i certainly think some things deserve being turned on their head ken one of the ones that irritates me a little is the saying that every cloud has a silver lining
1: lots of them just have heavy rain
0: well lots of them have heavy rain and it is possible to conceive of a cloud without a silver lining at least in that, within the bounds of that metaphor, it is not possible to conceive of a silver lining without a cloud. Mm, mm, <laughs> yes,
2: that's a good point. <laughs> How much is this part of this, um, you know, this issue of, of mental health? And we, I feel like we're probably pushing that phrase a little too hard to mean so many different things.
0: If health, like, if health means, if health means your your body is in a state able to function at its best. I mean, what what makes a failed kidney unhealthy is that it interferes with your ability to function. If mm. if things like depression are doing that, or even loneliness or, you know, some of the sort of less in inverted commas medical aspects of, of mental health, if they're interfering with the ability to make, you know, live the best life for other people as well as yourself.
3: It, well, not just live the best life. Let's not abstract it too much and let's not do its importance any sort of disservice i can illustrate this really cleanly as i did just the other day talking on this topic because it's been proposed and i personally think it's long overdue in some areas um that you sick days be extended to to all forms of 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 unwellness that may inhibit your ability to work you know and the immediate response to that is oh well people will fake being depressed or fake, hmm. you know, they'll take sick days when they're a bit sad, as though nobody's taken a sick day when they had a runny nose before, or a sick day yeah. when the footy was on and they thought they could get away with it, um, even though they posted themselves at football on Facebook. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, that's, you know, that, that's excuse. But here's the thing. A lot of jobs these days rely quite a bit on your brain being up to task and on task. They don't hmm. require your body to do anything very much. We're talking about using a computer with an internet connection most of the time. If I break my leg, which is a perfectly valid reason to have a sick day, doesn't impact my ability to do my job at all. But if I am extremely depressed, I cannot do my job. Mm. So why is breaking my leg a more valid reason for
1: a quote-unquote sick day than being depressed? Can I respond Mm. to that in two ways, Luke? One is to tell a story on a friend. Uh, without naming them, a very good friend of mine um, who uh, took a sick day uh, from nursing duties uh, to go snow skiing um, and, in fact, did break her leg while snow skiing. Uh, so <laughs> the sick day was justified, no doubt.
0: <laughs> surely divine intervention in that one.
1: Tim. I, 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 <laughs> I was not there for when she had to explain... How she broke her leg snow skiing on her sick day, um, but uh, so so you, you did refer to breaking your leg, not, in, not interfering with what certainly did interfere with her ability to do her nursing duties. Um, uh, so that's 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 a wonderful story. But the other thing that you raise, uh, Luke, is um, one that I think is worthy of exploring, and and that is you have drawn a distinction between the wellness of mind and wellness of body. I wonder whether it's worth exploring the connection between the fully functioning human being as a whole entity, rather than just reducing us to our component parts.
3: Mm. Well, no, that's a very good point. And I I think it, it reinforces you can justify sick days for things like depression and anxiety just based on the mental component alone when you take the holistic view and they absolutely do impact your body physically it is all interconnected mm. when you take the holistic
1: view the case only strengthens mm. and you must take the holistic view from this perspective and, and and this just shows how you cannot separate those two things because you say well it relies on my mental function and so it doesn't matter whether I've broken my leg but how is that mental function conveyed it is only ever conveyed through your physical presence. Now, it might not be the large parts of your body that are doing that. It might be your fingers on a keyboard. It might be your vocal cords and the air coming out of your lungs. Uh, but inevitably, that mental function or the the failure of the mental function manifests itself in a physical way uh, so that so that it is... An inability to produce a physical outcome, uh, nonetheless, and so it just again once again emphasises the fact that uh, we are complete and whole human beings.
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I've got a question and then another proverb. The question is: Does God give out sick days?
1: Yeah, once every seven days, only if supported by a medical certificate. That does that mean we need a medical certificate for uh, <laughs> for Sabbath?
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave that question now.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We ruined it, Cam. <laughs> sorry,
1: mate.
0: Proverbs. I, I liked all the answers I got. I thought that it was a pretty good coverage. Uh, Proverbs 18:14 says, and uh, this, you know, ties up a lot of what we've spoken about. Uh, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear?
1: Do you know? I um. Mm-hmm. Uh I had a number of years where I chaired the mental health tribunal in Tasmania and the crushed spirits uh, that came through those hearings were heartrending. rending uh, and you would say who can bear and, and I think there's, there's much to be said for those who experience depression, long-term depression, deep depression... Uh, and there are all sorts of labels for it in the DSM5 I think we're up to now um, uh, but it really is a, a, a such a debilitating condition and and, and I often say uh, the, these people who wake up in the morning and put one step in front of the other uh, when faced with the overwhelming mental anguish uh, that they're experiencing now, now, that's courage. Uh, jumping out of an aeroplane is titillation. Um, uh, you know, climbing Mount Everest is rich man's folly. The courage that is taken to face life once again in the face of, you know, despair is that which I think deserves great admiration.
2: Mm-hmm. Proverbs 15.30 connects with this a little bit. I don't think that we've had that one yet. Uh, Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. That's really remarkable imagery, isn't it? The, the good news is not, is not nourishing in a physical sense. And, and it's not medicinal in a chemical sense. So good news putting fat on the bones. This is speaking of this interconnect between mm-hmm. the the mind and the body and i think returning to your idea can there that that trying to make too hard a distinction there Mm. is is reducing the reality
0: can i just interrupt there and point out uh that uh fat on the bones to a modern reader is not necessarily a positive thing if you've come from a western society where losing weight is the is the problem In, in a society where food's scarce that's that's a good thing and um I think it, I think I'm running from memory again now, so perhaps Clancy can correct me on this lot. But I think that in the um, in the Book of Daniel, when Daniel's friends go on a diet of lentils, and then the the king sees that they're healthy and ruddy-cheeked, I think I think that in the original language, there's a there's a phrase there that suggests plumpness, like they were they'd put on weight they'd put on weight, and I think it's the same phrase used about the fat cows.
2: Yeah, well, your point is a really good one. I, I, While looking for the verse that I used earlier in Proverbs 13, I discovered um, Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat.
1: <laughs> nice. Ah, well, clearly I am a very diligent individual. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I don't suppose
3: you've, you've all already talked about Proverbs seventeen twenty two, my favorite proverb. Well, we haven't talked about favourites, so let's talk about a favourite. Proverbs 17.22, a happy heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit
2: dries up the bones. Oh, mm. that's good. That's good. It's such a good one. Happy It's so relevant today. It is so relevant to this discussion, isn't it? It's interesting. I'm going to jump in on the contrast being made. there. so many of these proverbs are expressed uh, linguistically and, and in the context of a contrast being made. Here the contrast is, but be- in my uh, translation I'm looking at, the contrast is between a joyful heart and a broken spirit. Mm. A broken spirit to me is actually something a lot more substantial than the opposite of a joyful heart. You know, you've got a joyful heart and a sad heart, but broken spirit seems to be exaggerating this contrast to, to quite an extreme. Uh, that's jumping out at me.
1: Can, the, I, I'm not sure whether this follows directly from that, but can I just, Say this. It seems to me that sometimes there is in Christianity a failure to recognize the difficulties, the crushed spirits, the uh, you know the broken bones. The, the there's we, we tend to constantly think that we've got to put on this positive attitude that we've always got to find the the positive spin because. You know, God turns everything into good, so we've got to look for the way that He's doing that here and now. Um, let's let's see if we can find it for Him. Uh, and
0: and it's Ken. I don't. I don't think necessarily the Bible upholds that perspective. There's one of my favourite stories is the story of Lazarus, and uh, Thomas gets a bad rap in the in the contemporary discussion circles as doubting Thomas. And there's a story where. Um, wisely waits for empirical evidence Thomas yeah 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 but in the story of <laughs> in the story of of Lazarus this Christ says oh, come on let's go back to Bethany and we've got to see Lazarus he explains that Lazarus has died which is completely bewilders them because just a few verses pre- previously said that Lazarus wouldn't die um, very explicitly said that this illness wouldn't end in death and then he says oh by the way Lazarus has died and I'm glad that he has because it will help you believe in me and then he says come on let's go and they say but they, they're trying to kill you um, and then Christ says a statement which is super enigna- enigmatic. And Thomas says, come on, we might as well go and die with him. Which is not an affirming, optimistic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's look on the bright side of life sort of statement. Mm. It's, it's quite a dismal... But, but there's, there is a strength, I think, sometimes in pessimists.
1: The, the, um, the Perlitzer Prize-winning author... Um, Frederick Buechner, one of my favourite authors, preached a sermon uh, about Thomas and pointed out that Didymus actually means twin. Um, And he thought that perhaps Thomas was a twin for many of us. Um, And I I thought that was an interesting, so that we can can identify with Thomas.
0: Yeah. Mm. I've got an excerpt only because he hasn't been mentioned so far and it relates directly to the concept of healing and it re- relates to the concept of being vulnerable and making ourselves vulnerable to other people and uh, about God's uh, capacity for healing uh, from Adrian Plass. And uh, this is from the Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass, age 37 and three quarters. And I'll, I'll read you some excerpts. Uh, Edwin rang this morning to say that there's going to be a special healing meeting on Wednesday next week, led by a visiting speaker from the north. Places would be limited, so did I want some seats? Said I'd call back in five minutes. I lay on my back in the hall with my shoes firmly against the front door and, after wriggling about a bit, discovered that my legs were exactly the same length as each other. Wished I'd realised that Anne and Gerald were watching from the kitchen. Um, (laughs) Gerald strolled into the hall with a sort of therapeutic casualness and said, Don't worry, Dad. We won't let anyone in if you don't want them to come in. Uh, The thing is, I explained, that most of these healing meetings nowadays seem to end up with a lot of sick people finding that the root of their problem is one leg being longer than the other. So I was just checking mine before ringing Edwin back. And? said Anne, who joined us. Well, I think they're the same, so I'll call him back and I'll say I'd like to go. And if one had been shorter than the other? asked Gerald, looking even more puzzled. Why, then I wouldn't have gone, of course, I replied, trying not to sound too impatient. In case he got healed, queried Anne. Exactly. What could be more embarrassing? I rang Edwin and asked him to reserve three seats. In the intervening chapters, he develops a bit of a sore back. He's got a twinge in his back and he goes to this healing meeting. They walk in and the evening starts with some choruses led by one of those people who Gerald says have A-levels in ecstasy. You know, compulsively cheerful person. And uh, he berates the audience at one point for not entering fully into the spirit of joy that should be present at a meeting like this. So, which of course means they all have to put a fixed smile of, you know, rapture on their face uh, to please him. Then the, then the guy stands up who's going to run the healing session. And, and he says, uh, first of all, there's a young lady who's injured her arm. And he calls the lady up and prays for her. And she takes off her, the bandage off her arm and it's healed. Uh, suddenly felt scared, hadn't banked on there really being a god who really told people real things about real people, wanted to hide, but where? And then the man from the front says, and now I think there's a couple of folk with back problems. One of them has a bruise at the base of the spine. Oh, what a relief. Mine, mine had been much higher up near the shoulder blades. Phew. And the other is much higher up near the shoulder blades. <laughs> oh, no, but I, I wasn't actually in pain. And it's not painful just now, but, but every now and then it gives him some real stick. The bruised base of the spine person surfaces and is prayed for, and then Gerald leans across and says, Dad, he said, it's you, you know it is. Uh, no escape. Trailed reluctantly up to the front and whispered urgently to the speaker. Uh, my legs are exactly the same length, you know. <laughs> well, well, that's useful for things like walking, he whispered back with a broad grin. And my back's not hurting at all at the moment, I added. Great, he said, and it's not going to hurt you in the future either. Put his hands on my back and prayed. Felt a sort of heat go through me, but nothing else. As I turned to go back to my seat, he whispered, God likes you, lad. He really does. When we got home, I rang Bill Dove, who's an elderly couple, um, whose wife is terminally ill, which is the extra dimension to this uh, excerpt. Uh, The thing is, Bill, I said I was scared when it looked as if God was really there and really did exist. Uh, So does that mean I never really believed in him before? Heard Bill chuckle at the other end of the phone. Doesn't mean any such thing, he said. Just means that up till now you've had faith bunged away in your heart, and tonight you had it shoved into your head. Always a bit of a shock, you'll handle it, don't worry. I said, how's Kitty Bill? Booked for home, I'd say,
1: said Bill quietly.
0: Hmm. Ah, uh, that doesn't answer any questions.
1: I cried when I last read that.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's, um, it's it's difficult knowing uh, exactly what, what life all means. The... The joys we experience are just as inexplicable as the sorrows, and um, I, I think for every discussion that, that we have about problems of illness and healing, we ought to have a similar discussion about the irrational nature of joy and happiness. It's interesting that we feel so entitled to well-being. Mm. I, yeah, I don't know exactly what to make of that, but I'm sure our listeners have many, many thoughts to share with us and they can, they can send their thoughts through. We know that a lot of you are in shutdown, in lockdown again, and um, we, I know that you are Luke and you are Lot, and uh, Ken and I seem to have escaped for now. The plague-ridden mainlanders have been kept at bay. But certainly there's lots of people um, doing it tough, and uh, we, our thoughts are with, with everyone who is. And uh, please feel free to share this podcast with anyone who you think would benefit and to uh, share any of your thoughts with us also. And we hope you join us for our discussion next week.